Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power, we will go by your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 26th of October, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including us in your day. Uh, Just a couple of days left for you to register your pastor in our pastor appreciation um, efforts at MyFaithRadio.com. So go ahead and log on to MyFaithRadio.com and share your pastor's contact information with us so that we can show our appreciation to them um, in this Pastor Appreciation Month. So thanks for um, thanks for sharing that information with us because we really do want to bless your pastor and we want to, and, and you know what? If you are a pastor, you know what? Go ahead and share your information with us as well. Like, right? It's self, it's not really self-nominating because we're, we're appreciating everybody. So there you go. So let us know that you're out there so that we can um, send you a little love. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, Matthew 7, verses 11 and 12. Now, let me go ahead and acknowledge in advance. Verse 11 belongs with verses uh, 7 through 10. And verse 12 really stands on its own as uh, sort of what we know as the golden rule. So I'm going to read Matthew 7, 7 through 11, because verse 10, or verse 11 belongs with verses, well, anyway, I'm, I'm going to read 7 through 12, and then we're going to focus on 12, because we focused yesterday on 7 through 10, and 11 belongs with that passage. So, I I don't know. Here you go. Here you go. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or ask for fish, would give him a serpent? I mean, if you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. And then today, verse 12, which really kind of stands alone as the golden rule. In everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's interesting to me that um, what in Christianity we call the golden rule, which Jesus says sums up all the law and the prophets or, you know, the Old Testament. This golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is really found through a number or throughout a number of religions around the world. The famous American artist Norman Rockwell had a list of the places in Buddhism, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, Jainism, Sikhism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. Thank you. I knew there there were some extra letters in there. Thank you, Paul, (laughs) bailing me out. Um, He said they all expressed the golden rule in their religious teachings. It might be one of those most universal of values. Um, I think that gives us a place to start in our conversations today as we consider the application of this particular Growing Your Faith verse of the day uh, to our life of faith. So let us in everything, as Jesus says, in everything do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Let us remember that sums up the law and the prophets. Um, and, and let us contemplate like how we might converse with others. If this really is a universal value, 
Um, maybe that gives us a place to start in our conversations today as we consider not only our own words and our own conduct, but how we might talk with others who have religious ideas that differ from our own. What would it look like and sound like today to do unto others as we would have them do unto us in everything? We're going to talk with Pastor Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson as we approach Halloween. Um, Daryl and I are going to consider um, the character of Satan, not just the character like the one who is the enemy of God, but actually the character, the character qualities of the enemy of God. As Halloween approaches, I mean, you're actually thinking about the enemy? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. Pastor Daryl Crouch is back. Good morning, sir. Carmen, it's great to be with you this morning. Happy um, Pastor Appreciation Month. Yeah, thank you. It's a mm-hmm. unique, uh, a unique time. It's a little awkward for a lot of pastors. They're not really sure how to. Yeah, that's navigate just how we that, like it. But, but, that's just. But how, it's a yes. great time. That's just how we like it. Yeah, we we yeah. we we like to just heap on the love at least one month a year, right? So, Do it. Um, Do it. come on strong. Yeah. So as we um, approach Halloween and therefore All Saints Day and Reformation Day. I thought maybe it would be fun for us to talk about in our From the Living Word to Living Out uh, the Word series. I thought it would be fun for us to talk about the reality of the spiritual realm, the reality um, of the enemy of God, maybe even spiritual warfare or, you know, the the battle that's not against flesh and blood, but is a real battle nonetheless. Well, it's really appropriate. I'm walking my neighborhood and there's uh, skeletons and all kinds of goblins out in people's yards as they're celebrating and preparing for Halloween and having some fun with that. And certainly uh, there, there is a, uh, an element of innocence to a lot of that. But um, the topic that we're talking about today is very real. And the devil is real. Uh, he's not a myth. And uh, he is um, roaming about as a roaring lion seeking to devour. And so I think there's a there's obviously a, a danger in being preoccupied with the devil, but there's also a danger in being dismissive of him and his schemes and his ways. And so um, I think it's a good good opportunity to have that conversation. I think what you just described is is exactly right. Like, I think there are people who overemphasize um, the presence and the power and the influence of uh, of Satan. And then I think there are those who um, act as if he is not. And that is a very real danger as well. Um, Daryl, lots of folks get their ideas about um, about the devil, um, about the enemy uh, from places that are not biblical. Like many, many people in the culture today, um, their ideas about uh, the spiritual realm are influenced by movies and books. I mean, historically, John Milton's uh, 1667 poem, Paradise Lost, or Dante's 14th century um, particularly the Inferno, but the but the whole trilogy that he wrote. Um, I mean, those are really the places where people get their ideas about the devil. So I thought it would be helpful for us to explore what does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible actually say about the enemy of God? Well, that's really good, and and I think that's easy to for for that to happen over the years with again literature and tradition and so on and 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 um, and also I think uh, because the devil 
and spiritual things uh, such as demon uh, and other spiritual things like demons there's there's lots of mystery there so in the old testament for example satan is mentioned very little specifically in in a in a way that's very very clear obviously job um we we find some clear references there in in job um uh, the isaiah passage in terms of um uh, of of the um the uh, reference to uh, the king of Babylon um, and and trying to parse that out is is um, is the is Isaiah talking about the king of Babylon or is he talking about Satan and uh, m- many of us have said hey he's he's talking about both and um, and and so I think there it, it lends itself to some uh, conjecture if we're not careful to just say hey what does the Bible say and certainly as we fast forward to the New Testament we see that Jesus is tempted by the evil one and and that uh, Paul says that to to stand against the schemes of the devil and really names him and says he is real and he is um, um, active in the world and and I think uh, one of the things that's helpful to know is that he is he is defeated uh, the, at, at the cross of Calvary uh, Jesus defeated sin Satan uh, Satan sin in the grave and and all that that means and all the implications of that but Satan is defeated but he's not dead. He is still very active, and there will be a, a day that he is finally put aside and put away. But um, I think uh, it is true that if we are going to battle well, if we are going to live the Christian life with victory, we must uh, stand against the schemes of the devil, recognize his schemes, recognize his character, and uh, then step into our life in Christ that we may live with victory. Okay, so that— um is a great summation because we do live in victory. The devil has already been defeated um, by Jesus uh, at the cross and in the resurrection. Uh, I mean, the devil is a loser and yet uh, still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for ways to, you know, to get into our lives that we might be devoured. Kill, steal, and destroy. Those are his methods. We're going to talk about the schemes of the devil, the character of the devil, how we can identify um, the spiritual influences of the enemy in our lives. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Indeed, um, we face all kinds of spiritual challenges, um, and the devil is ultimately behind each and every one of those. We're talking with Pastor Gerald Crouch today um, about you know who who the enemy is and how we might identify um, the presence and the schemes of the enemy in our lives today. Um, let's uh, let's look, Daryl, at the names of God's enemy um, revealed in Scripture and and how that might help us see the character of the enemy. Um, I have on my list Lucifer, Beelzebub, Satan, Apollyon, and the devil or the accuser. Want to want to talk about or unpack any of those? Yeah, I uh, I appreciate that. the The accuser is a really good place to start. I think for many believers, those of us who are in Christ, 
there is a sense of uh, are are we ever going to measure up and is our sin really uh, satisfied at the cross is the consequences and penalty of our sin uh, will will we ever really have uh, a god is is god the god who really loves us and who has accepted us does when when Paul wrote, "There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus," is that really true? And I think the the devil is an accuser. He is uh, constantly trying to convince us that um, Jesus really isn't enough, and uh, the the sacrifice that he made at Calvary's cross is not sufficient for our sins, and that we'll never measure up. To God's love and all all the things that go with that, and I think for the Christian, that's a really important um, um, decision to make. That yes, Jesus is enough. That there is no condemnation. The devil is a liar. He is a deceiver, and uh, he um, has intent to leave us. If he cannot, um, um, you know, win our soul, uh, he wants to win the battle in our minds. He wants to sideline us. He wants us to live a defeated life. And um, as we, um, if we want to cooperate with him, we certainly can. And so I think it's important for us to decide that we will be preoccupied with Jesus. We will step into what Jesus has already done on our behalf, and we will live that out. I think um, it's also another characteristic of his schemes, as you mentioned earlier, is that he he really is the author of confusion, and he uh, wants to um, um, to just create chaos, create chaos in our hearts, chaos in our families, chaos in our communities, and then and then the larger world. And I think uh, for us to understand that he, that the that the God that we serve is not the the author or the God of chaos. He is not the author of confusion, the Bible tells us. And so I think that's that's another important uh, piece. The other thing I would say is that Satan is a divider. He really um, loves when we are not um, when we are not together. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one as as uh, he and the Father are one so that the world would know that the Father sent him. And uh, unity is not a kumbaya kind of thing. It's a it's a nitty-gritty thing that was uh, purchased at the cross of Christ again that that we would that the dividing walls between us as Ephesians uh, tells us uh, has been removed. Um, uh, Satan is a wall builder in terms of a, a divider that would build uh, boundaries or b- walls between believers and um, and walls that would um, prevent the gospel from going forth with power uh, and to unreached people. And so uh, I think those are some of the characteristics. We could do this all day, but those are some of the characteristics that we should be aware of and that uh, as we identify in our own lives, um, is 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 there is there any contrast to our lives being um, spirit filled lives, Christ in us, the hope of glory kind of lives, and um, how are we responding to those challenges? So that's a that's a a big conversation, but maybe a good place to start. I think those are really good. Um, in addition to you know these these like kind of formal names that. Um, that the enemy of God gets uh, or is assigned in the Bible or is recognized as. We also have like titles, and I think you're getting into uh, into that as well. Um, in addition yeah. to like the things that Jesus calls Satan, 
Um, we know him as the tempter, and I think that the the spirit of division comes in as a part of that. We know him as the liar and the father of lies. He is the deceiver. Um, we know him as um, you know as the murderer. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. Um, he comes as a thief, um, uh, dragon, serpent, the evil one, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, the enemy, the roaring lion. I think that um, when we think about the the titles or the characteristics, the attributes that we recognize, or at least Scripture leads us to recognize, whether or not we recognize them or not, that's like part of the challenge, right? So, um, but these these attributes or these character traits of the enemy, it seems to me they all have um, uh, an opposite, uh, a corollary on on the Jesus side of things. So if I think of the roaring lion um, who is, you know, prowling around looking for a way to devour me, that's not the lion of Judah. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? And then if, if I recognize Satan as the enemy, well, he is not my friend, but Jesus is. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, this, this, you know, prince of the power of the air. Well, he's not the prince of peace. Like there's, you know, if he's the evil one, then, you know, there is this genuinely good one. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking that as Christians, if we can be equipped to recognize Jesus as the opposite of, uh, of all of these attributes of the enemy, you know, that's going to help us as well. Really true. And I think sometimes we think of Satan and maybe some of the caricatures in literature have helped with this, but of Satan being this uh, fellow in a red suit with a a pitchfork tail and uh, really obvious. But uh, the the truth of the matter is that uh, Satan is very attractive, very appealing. Um, and um, only um, it, it, he, and that's part of the deception of it all. And um, but while he appears to be very attractive, in other words, that sin that we are tempted, he's the tempter. Well, that sin is a is a temptation for a reason because it's attractive to us. Uh, but yet it is absolute poison to our souls and to our lives and to our relationships with God and other people. And so I think to recognize the subtle nature of the enemy, but that he is in stark contrast to who Jesus is and what he's done. And like you've said, Satan takes life. Uh, Jesus gives life. Um, Satan is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, um, that uh, you mentioned earlier. Uh, But uh, Jesus is the, he is the Prince of Peace. He is the he is the uh, the Lord of all, and um, he is the one who holds all things together. Colossians tells us by the power of his might. So while Satan is the god of the world in the sense the little g god in the sense of destroying the world, Jesus is the the big g god who holds all things together by the power of his might. So the contrast are really important, but from the uh, we could say with the naked eye, uh, Satan looks an awful lot like something we would want to be a part of. Uh, but he is a deceiver and he is a liar. And while he may be beautiful to look at in some sense, uh, not like the, the, the red costume with the pitchfork tail, uh, he's not scary that way, but he is incredibly dangerous. And so I think for us to walk in the spirit of the living God gives us wisdom, gives us much needed wisdom and discernment uh, 
to know good from evil and power to walk in the light as um, Jesus is in the light. And so I think uh, understanding those distinctions is really important. And knowing also, as Paul talks to the Ephesians with we, when we've referred to putting on the armor of God, that, that there are resources available to us in Christ that we may stand strong. Mm. Um, we have a, a friend um, on the text line saying, you know, uh, where Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, um, you know, Satan is the the tempter, the liar, the murderer. Like, I do think there are ways for us to um, recognize and and even um, talk about, okay, there are these stark differences. And if we know Christ and the better we know Christ, the easier it is to recognize um, the enemy. Uh, and then we also have to remember that even though we are in this ongoing battle, um, it's not a battle of flesh and blood. It is a, a battle that has already been won in the heavenlies. Um, and I think it's it's always critical to recognize, like, it's not as if Satan is equivalent to God in any way. Like, he's, he's little, he's defeated, um, and he's finite, and we ought not make too much of him, even though we ought to recognize the threat that he poses. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. He is not omnipresent. He is not omnipowerful. Uh, he is not omnipotent. He he has limitations. And um, the Christ that it, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's really true that we have um, we, we have the, the spirit of the living God living in us. The eternal God abides in us uh, through his spirit. And um, and Satan is a defeated foe. And I think for us to live that out, uh, being preoccupied with the presence of Jesus. Jesus said this before he uh, ascended to the Father. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is present with us and he is powerful in our lives. And I do think it's important that we understand that the some of the cultural um, attacks and some of the the craziness that's happening is not happenstance. It is it is a natural outflow of a people who have uh, who do not walk with Christ because outside of Christ, uh, Satan he really is the prince of the power of the air. He really is the god of this world, and and in our sinfulness we are prone uh, to uh, follow after him. And so it is Christ in us that is the light and the hope of the world. And um, for us to live that out in a way that invites people to follow Jesus with us, uh, there's really no victory over evil outside of the abiding presence of Jesus. And so, um, again, us not being too preoccupied with with Satan and demonic things, but us not being dismissive of them either and recognizing that we are more than conquerors who in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me encourage everybody to read Ephesians 6 today. Read Luke chapter yeah. 4. Um, spend some time um, in, in the Word of God today, being equipped for the very real spiritual battle um, that we are in each and every day, uh, guarding our hearts and minds against the one who is prowling around at all times looking for a way to devour us. Um, Daryl, as always, thank you so much for joining us. What a blessing. Well, it's been a blessing to me. Hope you have a great day. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. 
a conversation next about baptism, what it is and what it isn't. There are uh, people across the country at the end of political events being, quote unquote, baptized. What does is, what is that mean and what are they doing? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Even when the rain falls, even when the blood stops rising, even when the storm comes. All right, it's possible that you have heard or read about the Re- Reawaken America tour. Um, and this is uh, happening in cities across the country, most recently in Pennsylvania. But um, these really started uh, more than a year ago now in um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, there, uh, there are a lot of things said and done at these events um, that look very, very spiritual in nature. There is... Um, there is a way in which the things of the Christian faith are being um, woven into and with political um, political speech, political ideas, political um, rhetoric. And recently, at the conclusion of these events, something new has taken place. Uh, hundreds of people are lining up to be baptized. And so um, I want to I want to highlight this so that we can talk a little bit about it. Um, what what is baptism? Why would a person choose to be baptized at the end of an expressly political event? Um, and if it were happening on uh, the other side of the aisle, how would you feel about it? So what is baptism? You know, are you baptized? What what does baptism mean to you? In whom or into what are you baptized? Christian baptism is a sacrament of the church. It accompanies a, a person's public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it's a turning away from sin to a life renewed in Christ Jesus. A person is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, claimed as a child of God in the presence of fellow believers. Baptism symbolizes the washing away of sins or regeneration, death to self, being raised to a new life in Christ Jesus as a new creation. Um, And so what exactly do the people who are being baptized at the conclusion of a political rally think they are doing? What do they think they are doing? Into what are they, quote, being baptized? Baptism is about adopting an identity and um, recognizing yourself as a part of the family of faith and the mission of Christ. So into what are these people being baptized? What identity are they adopting? And and into what mission are they um, committing themselves? I think this is where we have to understand that baptism is actually not exclusive to Christianity. Um, in our culture, we think of baptism— as something that is Christian and an expression of the Christian faith, but people are baptized into all kinds of things. Um, baptism ceremonies as as a way of initiation into a particular activity or a particular role um, are fairly universal. And lots of things can be considered, quote-unquote, baptism. I mean, consider the phrase baptism by fire. That is obviously a different understanding than what we're talking about when we're talking about the Christian sacrament of baptism. So baptism is a characteristic of many religions across time. 
But I think it's fair to say that in the United States of America in 2021, it is most clearly associated with the Christian church, which makes what's happening at the conclusion of these political rallies all the more concerning. Why? Well, because of the language being used. Because of the language being used. The language is army of God language. The language is crusader language. Um, And when I say crusader language, yes, I actually mean the crusades. So back during the crusades, we're talking here about 1095 to 1291. We're in we're in 2022. So when we talk about 1095 to 1291, we're talking about uh, a thousand years ago. And a thousand years ago during the crusades, Soldiers in Christ, quote-unquote, soldiers in Christ were sworn in as recruits at the baptismal font. They were reminded that their life in Christ is a crusade. They would then place their hand on the Bible. They would take a vow to serve Christ unto death, and they passed from there into training under what you and I would now recognize as the Red Cross flag. They wore a Red Cross on their chest. Um, They had their hand on the hilt of their sword, and they committed to fight for the faith, and guard the deposit of faith unto death. The language was language of duty to God. You are going to hear that language if you listen or watch um, the Reawaken America tour. You are going to hear this language. You are going to hear army of God, soldiers of Christ, duty to God language. And uh, in the Crusades, when this would happen, um, they would recognize um, and they would go forth shoulder to shoulder with one another, one uh, as if fighting as one man against evil. Um, rank did not matter uh, because every uh, one of them was in service to the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's notable here that um, no one could serve as a knight in the Crusades if he were not first, quote, baptized into that particular service even though they had all already been baptized as Christians, because it was, after all, the Christian Crusades. So these were all people who had been baptized, but they could not serve in the Crusades themselves unless they had been, in my view, rebaptized. And it was called historically, or is called historically, the Order of the Bath. The idea being that from the time of your baptism, your actual baptism, to the present time, your new life had accumulated or been contaminated by a lot of foreign matter from the world. And all of that now needed to be washed away so that you might be able to serve Christ pure in heart as you went forth into battle against um, the forces present in the world in that day. So, We might think of what's happening at these Reawaken America events as a renewal of baptism, but that's not the language that's being used. They're calling it baptism. And the people who are being, quote, baptized are are talking about it as if it is an utterly transformative experience, that they have been called into something utterly new in terms of their religious experience. And, and let us be clear, this is not Christianity. So by the testimony of those being baptized, they experience it as a genuine or genuinely religious experience. Friends, that should be cause for alarm among those who are Christian in the traditional sense and meaning of the word. 
I I have real concern about um, about the direction um, that this is headed. And if you've been wondering, when people talk today about Christian nationalism and they talk about it as a confusion between what is authentically Christian um, and and something else, they will point to this. They can point to this. They should point to this. And they should be asking Christians, what are these people doing who understand themselves to be baptized into the army of God under a duty to Christ in order to wage war in the culture today? Is that the way of Christ? Is this what it is intended to look like for a reconciling community? a community of forgiveness sent into the world to reveal Christ and reveal grace. And to, yes, speak truth, but to do so in what? Yeah, in love. Speaking of baptism, there's another um, story. This one is out of Mississippi. I'll just describe it this way. A couple in Mississippi had a baby. This couple is not married. The mother of the child is a member of a church that her family has attended for generations. She acknowledges that she doesn't attend regularly, Um, She doesn't support the church financially. She doesn't work with or for the church in any active uh, engagement. She's not involved in any of the ministries related to the church, but she had a baby. And so she understands that because she's on the membership role, um, to her way of thinking, that means that um, her baby ought to be eligible to be baptized by that pastor in that church. So in short, this unmarried couple wants to have their baby uh, baptized in a particular church without regard for the requirements of baptism or its meaning or what is required of those presenting their child for baptism. So in the articles that I've read, the question that's never asked is why. Why do they want their baby baptized into Christ, into a faith of which they are not actively participating It never actually comes up in any of the articles that I've read why they want their baby baptized. I think that's a good question to ask. Um, The list of questions that would be asked of them were they to uh, present their child for baptism in this particular church, um, because it's a United Methodist Church, this is one of the questions that the pastor addressing the parents would, would ask of them. This comes straight from the UMC Discipleship uh, Book of Worship, Baptismal Covenant section. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Now, let me ask you, could this couple, in good conscience, have answered that question if the pastor had agreed to baptize their baby? Now, it may not surprise you to discover that after this was exposed um, through social media, The backlash against the pastor has been significant. He's now under discipline by his denomination. And the bishop uh, of this region of the United Methodist Church has assured this couple that absolutely their baby is eligible for baptism, um, which is just breeding more confusion. So I ask you today, what is baptism? How do you understand it? What does it mean to be a person baptized into the faith in Jesus Christ, walking in newness of life? Not no longer under the power of sin, but actually a new creation, a regenerated person as Christ in the world. That is the new identity that 
um, that we adopt or, or into which we are adopted in baptism. So what does it look like and what does it mean to walk as Christ in the world today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. So speak life, speak life, to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life, speak life, when the sun won't shine. Um, good question um, from Mary. Hey, where is baptism in the Old Testament? I'm a little unclear about that. Um, baptism is foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but actually not a rite um, in the Old Testament. Lots of ritual washing in the Old Testament, but none of it is uh, described as baptism per se. Baptism is something that um, we we hear about first by uh, being um, practiced by John the Baptist, who, I mean, that's why he's called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He um, He baptizes people with water in preparation for the arrival of the kingdom of God, which he says is at hand, and then that kingdom arrives in a person named Jesus. And John points to him um, and and recognizes and acknowledges that Jesus is the king, instituting the kingdom of heaven uh, upon the kingdom uh, of earth. And so, yeah, there's... um. There's all of that going on in this conversation as well. So, Mary, thank you for that question. You guys can uh, always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. From, um, from baptism um, to um, euthanasia, I want to talk for a moment about what is going on on the, in, in the death with dignity front. I think that there are, you know, there are a handful of concerns in terms of the ethics of our day that Christians need to have thought through and be prepared to engage in. And part of it is these are questions that come up like in our own families all the time. And so certainly conversations about baptism come up in our families. Uh, certainly conversations about church involvement or church engagement or church uh, or engagement in, in the political sphere as Christians. Like all of those are conversations that come up all the time. Here's a conversation that if you haven't had it yet in your family, it's coming. Trust me when I tell you, uh, people in your family are thinking about this, whether or not they're openly and actively talking about it. And that is um, this, quote unquote, death with dignity um, conversation. Let's just call it euthanasia. Let's call it what it is. Assisted suicide um, It would be another name. There, this, uh, this author who in Forbes is talking about it from um, the perspective of, quote unquote, the wise demise. So this author's mother, and here's a direct quote, recently and gratefully used Canada's legislation to orchestrate her own wise demise. The author talks about um, medically assisted dying as something that is hotly debated. Um, And then there are paragraphs like this. For boomers used to planning and controlling many of life's choices, From when we have children to what kind of milk we have in our coffee, defining a good death seems like something they may want to 
discuss with their families and decide for themselves sooner rather than later. It's likely to become an integral part of planning a good life and legacy. Clear choices, clearly communicated, help families navigate today's end-of-life smorgasbord of a multiplicity of medical options. So, here's what I want you to note. I want, um, I want us to take note of the, of the fact that this is understood to be a decision that somebody makes for themselves. Something that should be planned in the same way that you would plan for um, the way your things are going to be distributed after your death. Um, in the same way that you would plan when or whether or not to have children and what kind of cream you're going to put in your coffee, so too, this author says, um, you ought to be making the decision about your own death. And note the end, a multiplicity of medical options. This is now considered a medical decision. A medical decision. The end of life has been medicalized in virtually every way. That's worthy of a conversation as well. Um, The author goes on to say that she and her husband did, quote, their research and, quote, unquote, soul searching to think more deeply about all sides of the ongoing debate. After my mother's departure, we remain aligned in support of the practice, carefully regulated and monitored. Personally, we both harbor a wish to emulate my mother's courageous role modeling and die in a country where we, too, will have exit options on call. Exit options. Um, Courageous role modeling. Um, They talk about having done the research and soul searching, and they talk about looking at all sides of the debate. Well, let me tell you that having read the entirety of the piece, there is um, one really critical and important conversation they never have. God never enters into any of this for them. There's clearly no spiritual influence or spiritual influencer in their life whatsoever. They never consider that it might be... um, not the right of a person to take their own life. They go on, um, she goes on to talk about at length what's available not only in the United States and Canada, but around the world in terms of medical assistance in dying. Again, it's been purely medicalized. Talks about the difference in the language and the global rise of quote-unquote assisted dying. And then um, arrives in the end at an extended discourse about their experience of having this planned medically assisted assisted death and how it creates space for conversations in families and and a genuinely good goodbye. Some people describe medically assisted dying, I'm reading again from the article in Forbes, as the next big shift in social attitudes, just like the abolition of slavery or the emancipation of women or legislation of gay marriage, the voices raised against it will at a certain point be overwhelmed by the tide of opinion in its favor. And it will come to be seen as a further step along the path of individual human rights. I felt like in terms of the conversation that we often have um, at the intersection of human autonomy and the authority that God has over every aspect of our lives, this was an important piece to lift up because this person articulates the attitudes of the day, the spirit of the age in which we live. And so let me recommend as a resource um, to juxtapose against this, or as the counterpoint, the Christian counterpoint, 
Johnny Erickson Tata's When Is It Right to Die? When is it right to die and whose right is it over life and death? I'm going to argue that is a right that belongs exclusively to God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. of um, good conversation on the text line today. JoJo says, hey, our condo association just um, had a meeting um, to talk about this topic. I couldn't believe um, that it happened where I live. Yeah, this is happening everywhere. There are death with dignity movements across the country. There are now death doulas, people who um, will, in in the same way that... Um, um, that people have assisted women in childbirth throughout the centuries um, as midwives. There are now death doulas who will assist people in the process of a medically assisted death. It's an industry. Um, and yeah, there are advocates. There are all kinds of um, places and spaces, including your condo association. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing some churches where these conversations are being openly had and, um, and this is being openly advocated. We have to get to the place where we can say with conviction, I am pro-life from um, conception to natural death. Natural death. What does natural death look like and how do we um, define that? How do we accept natural death when it comes? Um, and how do we rest in the peace of the Lord in that? And how do we talk about that with the members of our family um, who are nearing um, that stage of passing from this life to the life that is to come. Well, that's it for the first hour of Mornings with Carmen today. We've got another hour up next. Thank you so much for including me in your day. You can catch the rebroadcast of this show at MyFaithRadio.com and share it with someone else as a podcast. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.